After sold-out runs at the Public Theatre and London's National Theatre, Here Lies Love, the groundbreaking musical from David Byrne and Fatboy Slim, opens on Broadway this summer. Get swept up in what Vogue calls a life-giving, roof-raising blast of pure joy about the rise and fall of Imelda Marcos at the hands of the Philippine People Power Revolution. Here Lies Love is a revolutionary experience unlike any other on Broadway. It's a party and you're invited. Get tickets at herelieslovebroadway.com. Jasmine Elmer and this is Legit Classics. Here at Legit Classics, you don't need a cravat, a rare wine collection and a villa in Tuscany to sample the delights of the Greco-Roman world. How this is going to work is I'm going to get someone that knows some stuff about things in their field. I'm going to take the things I know about the stuff in my field, bring this all together and give you something bigger than either of us can do on our own. Whether you're here for the lulls or the learns, buckle up. It's time to get legit. This week we have the wonderful, very exciting today. I'm a bit too excited actually because we're going to be talking wine, one of my favourite things, with the wonderful Alicia Hansel, who is a wine writer, presenter, judge. I mean, I'll call you a wine guru. Can I call you that? <laughs> I suppose you could call me that. Although I feel like guru has some sort of spiritual meaning, which I've not yet, you know, achieved. <laughs> it's like when people call themselves legends. It's like the fact you're doing that just makes you a bit of a knob. <laughs> Very good point. Very. I'll call you a guru. You okay. can just go. I just chat about wine to people for a job. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank cool. You. All right. Cool. What I really want to get into with you straight away, you describe yourself as somebody who's interested in the anthropology of wine. So you're talking to someone that drinks wine, that likes wine, knows a bit about it, but I don't know what anthropology of wine is. So could you explain what that is and why you got into that kind of side of what I know you are a general wine expert as well, but I mean, why do you like that side of it? For me, when it comes to wine, it's not necessarily all of the scientific stuff that I'm interested in or the clonal varieties or, you know, that stuff is interesting. But for me, what really fascinates me is kind of it, wine's place in society and culture throughout the ages. Now, it's funny because actually I am um, mixed race, so I'm Indian and Jamaican. Uh, so wine actually was not a part of my culture growing up. So it's quite funny that that's the thing that's made me most interested. But I suppose it's just the sense of we as humans have been imbibing something. I'm going to say wine here I'm using as a kind of catch-all term for fermented drinks, right, I guess. Um, but we've been yeah. imbibing something since the dawn of time. And there's obviously something innately in us that wants to get a little bit tipsy, wants to get a bit merry. And, you know, it really connects us as friends and as peoples and as society. And that I think just is fascinating. So you mentioned about your like, you know, your background being, mm -hmm. you know, you're mixed race, Jamaican, Indian. I mean, my, I'm mixed race too. My dad's Pakistani. My mum's white. So how has that is an odd choice for you then in your own words, because it's not something you grew up around. So how did you get into sort of wine? So I'm from a very working class family. So my holidays when I was younger were we were in the back of the camper van and we drove through France. And I come from Birmingham. You can probably tell from my accent. Um, so when I was driving through, when my parents were driving through France and we saw these fields for the first time, 
there were these things back then where they had honesty boxes at the end of the field. So whatever they were producing, they would have it at the end of the field and you could put your money in and take it and whatnot. And that just blew my mind for a child that had come from a concrete jungle. First of all, the, the realisation of, oh, that piece of grass there or land there produces something. Um, and B, my, specifically my dad was so excited when we w went past one of these things and there was wine there. <laughs> um, but I guess I just latched on to his excitement uh, and the romanticism of it all. That's really... That's what I think where it started. Do you know what would have struck me there, Alicia? Like coming from a, a really poor background as well, like council estate, I'd have gone, honesty box? Yes, Hang on a minute. So I can take 100%. all the wine I want. I know I would have been a yeah. kid and probably not wanted the wine, but I can take all the wine I want and I can put in a euro. Yeah, 100%. This is wicked. Yeah, again, just thinking, oh my gosh, these people are so trusting and this produce, it, honestly, it was a revelation. Never heard yeah. of it. So that's that's really, <laughs> that's what started it. And then I guess fast forwarding to a time when I was, I guess, legally allowed to drink. Um, I always then became a, what I would say is a engaged consumer. So if I was to go on holiday, I'd, you know, book the vineyard tour or I'd try to understand what I was buying off the shelf. And then it just snowballs from there, really. We're going to get onto this in a little bit about the kind of notion of snobbiness and things like that. But before we do that, this is a classics podcast. So like, have you ever done any? Did you ever get to study at school? Like, I mean, obviously in your work, you will have come across Greeks and Romans and other ancient cultures. But um, is it something you ever got to study at school or anything you, you I actually studied Latin at school. For oh, my God. That's I'm know. literally in love with that because that's so cool. <laughs> that never happens. Everyone just goes, no, I didn't know what it is. So this is fabulous. Please um, tell us. And whilst I wasn't necessarily great at the, you know, grammar and literature of writing, the classic side of it absolutely fascinated me. And I actually tried to lobby my school to do classics at A-level, but no one else was interested. So they didn't, they didn't bring it into A-level, but never mind. Um, I, but I just, I guess the finding out how people lived and what they were eating and the clothes, it's just, I don't know, it's so far removed in, from you in time, but yet so similar to us now as humans. It's, you know, that's why I liked it. I feel like you might as well just, you know, do this pod yourself today, actually, because <laughs> that's exactly what I'm all about. And it's ex totally right. It's like, you know, it's so different, yet so similar at times. Yeah. And that's kind of how I want people to engage with classics. We'll talk a little bit about ancient winemaking. And, you know, there's obviously we're talking about a big period of history. So I'm sure you'll know as well that things change throughout time. But it won't shock anyone to know that wine is a big part of ancient Greek and Roman culture. So wine, it's a social thing. It's a religious thing. Um, people use it in their own homes in terms of like drinking parties. And we'll get into all of that in much more detail. So it's safe to say it's a big, massive, you know, kind of uh, wine business going on, lots of production, lots of trade. So suffice to say, very briefly, Romans and Greeks liked their wine. <laughs> I feel like like is an understatement. They loved yeah. their booze, right? <laughs> they mm. Correct. You know, they, they loved it. Good point. They did. They absolutely, you know, guzzled the stuff. Let's just put that out there now for a bit of context. So I want to kind of deep dive into some of these different areas. In the ancient world, there are there's a hierarchy, you know, social hierarchy. So in Greece and Rome, there is a social hierarchy of things. And obviously the wine connects to that. So clearly, the richer you are, the higher the quality of the wine you can afford. 
And of course, there comes a whole load of reputation that comes with that because, you know, we're drink- they're drinking. Often it's men drinking in these parties in their homes, the symposia or the convivium in, in Latin. And so it's it's about showing off. Here's my really cool, expensive wine. Check me out. You better like me and vote for me or whatever it is they want their guests to do in, in the wider society. So my first question for you is, you know, wine is snobby then. <laughs> And wine is snobby now. now. Yes, it is. Why do you think that is? That's a, that's a universal trait of wine. Why do you think wine has become a bit of an instrument of this kind of class, kind of snobbiness, upper classes? In modern day, the only people that could travel and go to different countries and do, you know, like the Grand Tour were yes. rich people. Yeah. And those were the people that could then taste the wines of France or Italy or Spain, wherever they were going, and then kind of bring it back. Or the people who had connections to merchants, you know, there's really uh, famous wine merchants in London and whatnot. So your average person over the last hundred years, they weren't going on holidays. They weren't necessarily meeting with these rich merchants. So it has, has always been part of that, you know, higher society. Fast forwarding then, I guess, to the last 50 years, 70s and 80s, that's really when the average person started to even hear or know about wine. Like, I'm sure your parents, my parents, many people's parents listened to this when they were in their teens and 20s, never seen wine, never drunk it, and they only really drunk it as they got into adulthood. So actually, I think that my generation and younger are possibly the first generation where wine has been accessible for all classes, if that makes sense. Whether it does, you, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it, it's kind of a bit of timing in that respect. And obviously, um, wealth, you know, wine is expensive. You know, we can get very expensive wine, and but we can make wine for cheaper now than we could back then, you know, with machine yes. harvesting and whatever else. So it's all of these things, I think, are the reasons why wine previously was just for the elites. Um, and now, you know, the working class, me and you, whoever can can drink it now. But, you know, as with everything like that, it's there's still the remnants of it being in this elite society. And that will take time. That will take time to knock down. Yeah, no, yeah, um, exactly. No, I understand what you're saying. But actually, what listening to you is really interesting because what you're describing is actually Roman society as well. Because Roman society had a hierarchy of wine. So we don't know as much about Greek society all the time, about how they, you know, the different types of, there obviously are plenty of different types of wines and there is definitely a hierarchy of things. But the Romans were into this production a little bit more, I'd say. And we know that the the, the Romans drank their wine and the Greeks, you know, watered down versions. It's not like us today, you know, the, the wine itself would have been stronger, but it would have been mixed and with bloody water. bloody horrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's a tender, yeah, I don't know, it depends on your, I guess, on your palate, right? True. But their wines would generally be white and sweeter than mm-hmm. today. Lot, lot, they liked sweet wines. That, those were the best wines. And then sort of it gets more acidic as it mm. goes down, you know, and there are these hierarchies. So you get these like Posca and drinks like that in 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 the roman period um that are mulsum that are kind of sweeter wines that are, mi- but are, but are mixed in with like vinegary style stuff and herbs and honey so in that sense there was a hierarchy even then so even thousands of years ago wine had become this agent for kind of social status mm. and I, I and I, that fascinates me because it that's that's happening in very early cultures and and also we we ought to add I'm sure you talked about we were speaking about wine but, you know, there was 
this kind of antithesis with beer. So beer yes. is what Celts and 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 it, Egyptians absolutely. drink, and that's right. barbaric. Civilized people drink, drink wine. wine. So even then, uh, there's that in oh that distinction. Gosh. And still today, you know, people still think that today. Well, gosh, then we've not changed. There we go. No, no, <laughs> not about. Nothing's changed. Yeah. We're still in our little, you know, feel like we're uh, in our little boxes. We need to break this down, people. We do, we do. We need to we smash this, do. like, hierarchy. <laughs> the proles need to rise. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I think... The other side to this is like attitudes to feet. This is we're two women. We drink wine in the ancient world. The attitudes of female drinking is very strict. So women are not are not allowed to drink. Um, they, you know, if you think about how a Greek woman would live her life, she's in the home. She's very restricted. Um, she has no social life. It's not like you know popping down the pub with your mates, having a girly glass of wine or a spa trip. You don't get any of that. You know, you're at home. That's what it is. And so, you know, the drinking that went on in, in Greek society is going to be in the home with men at these symposia, these drinking parties. And it's an all-male affair. Uh, lots of wine, lots of women, possibly prostitutes, not sure, not always. Uh, might be singing, dancing. And it's a place of debate. So men would come together and they would discuss all sorts of issues like politics. And so, you know, same in Rome, a little bit more freedom. You know, they did attend these parties um, but this you know, just they're makes just me courage. angry. Everything you're telling me is making me angry <laughs> yeah, that see. they have all the fun. Now we're on Zoom here as well, and I can see like your facial expression getting crosser and crosser. So you won't like the very last thing I was going to tell you then, which is in like Republican Rome. So this is like before the Empire. Um, it was punishable. Women being caught drinking was punishable by death. <sighs> and there are some examples of that. And um, they made up a great rule, which I love, which is male relatives were allowed to kiss. Well, should kiss female relatives on the lips to check if they've been drinking. <laughs> and I just think that just sounds like that dodgy uncle that it he does. would have loved that rule, wouldn't he? Um, so, so you can oh, see like, attitudes to women oh, drinking no. then are very strict compared yeah. to today. So mm. do you think, though, because, you know, I know at my age, there has been a lot, certainly in the like, you know, noughties when I was in my 20s, you know, there was a whole load of ladette culture yes. that was yeah, very yeah. frowned upon, mm, like mm-hmm. drunken women with short skirts mm-hmm. lying on the floor. And there was a, a big stigma, I think, towards women being that way, mm. as opposed to the, a man doing the same thing. So do you think these attitudes have actually changed then about fe- no. women drinking alcohol, Evidently drinking not, wine? But it's interesting that you say with the ladette culture, right? Because we just touched upon it with the with the beer and the class. Once again, la dette culture, I feel, was more about shots and beer and whatnot. Whereas yeah. um, if there's a woman drink, sitting down and drinking wine, obviously you can get just as drunk on one or the other. But I feel like the la dette culture was maybe more associated with different types of alcohol. So maybe that was a class thing as well. Um, but yeah, obviously, gosh, things have not really changed that much. I actually, uh, funny you say that, I was reading a book about wine in, in culture and there was a 13th century French uh, poet and he basically says the same thing like oh the lady who drinks too much can't be trusted and I'm like well you're drinking too much literally nothing has changed <laughs> but at least now we can drink in place you know even in the UK we had you know male and female saloons um, didn't we have separate mm. places in pubs so mm. at least now we can drink together and stuff but yeah what was that guy called the pub landlord 
I can't remember who. Oh, who Al Murray. Lived. Yeah, and do you remember he used to do that sketch, sketch about wine for the women and beer for the men? Oh, or whatever? yeah, 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 yeah. So of course, there Al Murray was saying it ironically. But as with everything, stereotypes do come from a certain truth. So sexism and and alcohol is still prevalent. It's still there. going on. Yeah. No, I totally, yeah. I totally that makes sense. I think you know, like the context as well is really important. So. For Greeks and Romans, drinking is a bit of a moral dilemma because mm. they it's a big part of their lives, as we keep saying, and it's encouraged, you know, you should drink. In fact, there are certain um, ancient authors that say you need drink to be able to write poetry. You need, you need to be able to drink wine to be able to drink, you know, to, to, to yeah, do something creative. that's what I say or, when I'm writing an article engage. to my editors. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, dear editors, I need wine to write. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I really wish we could use that excuse. I know, I know. Was it also healthier for them to drink wine? Well, exactly. And I was just about to get onto that. Mm. Absolutely, really good question. Because, you know, there's there's this whole moral thing that I've just, you know, trying to outline there about, you know, the, the wine is an important part. Yet the other side of it is like, you know, the worry, the fear that taking it too far and getting into excessive drinking is a concern. So mm. they're kind of flitting between this all the time in the ancient world. It's like, get drunk, but not too drunk. But we have that today. It's like we, we, oh, yeah. we hold people up in a high esteem that can hold their, hold their liquor, essentially, isn't it? Yes. You know, it's like, you, oh, you, you know, that's really impressive if you're someone that can hold your liquor. So it's still a thing. But onto your question about medicine, you know, like water can't be trusted all the time in the ancient world mm. because obviously, you know, you know, it could cause illness, et cetera. And so they would mix wine and water. And perhaps there was a safety concern there, absolutely. Mm. And what they don't know, like we do, are the, are the you know, dangers of excessive drinking. So we all know that you know, drinking too much, it affects your liver, it affects all sorts of issues with your body and your health. And because we live longer, we're likely to see the effects of drinking. So mm. if, you know, if we're mm-hmm. drinking from, let's say drinking from 18, as everybody should, um, if you're drinking <laughs> from 18 and then you die at... I don't know, 85, making up numbers here. That's not a prophecy in case you're worrying. Oh. Um, but, you know, you do that and that's a long time for alcohol to take effect, essentially. Yes. So, you know, yeah. so they don't know, their, their, their lifespan's much shorter. They're probably dying in their mm. 50s or 60s, you know, at best. And, and they also have the lack of medical knowledge that we do. So they're, they're, they're not as obsessed with, worried about the excessive drinking from a medical perspective, but they are Fine. from a moral yeah. And social, and you know, mm-hmm. people very, very drunk. People are made fun of. You know, they're kind of like you know a joke of society, and you see that a lot in the uh, in the Greek plays, the Greek comedies. The other sort of side that I mentioned about you know classical world is how religion plays a part, a very important part in. Um... Now, I always find this a little bit like, yeah, sure, you know, like let's make it a religious thing because then we can drink and no one's going to say anything. You know, there are the gods of wine. There's Dionysus mm. in 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 Greek mythology. Back in Roman, same guy, different name. Um, and there are all these, you know, cults and festivals and celebrations. Absolutely. So you're kind of making the drinking, not wine itself and the drinking of wine and the ritual around it a religious affair, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which I like as an excuse, but I'm not religious. Yeah. So I can't. But I'm wondering, is there anything like that today? Like, do you know anything through your anthropological wine? Are there cultures that continue to do this today or, you know, or, or well, even historically? Funny you say that. Do you know... I think the thing is, people might not realise that they're taking part in these things, but over time, religion and secular behaviours have morphed, right? So, for instance, one of my favourite facts, a Roman god called Liber Pater, or mm-hmm. the Free Father, 
he was kind of a minor version, uh, but was also a god of uh, fertility and wine. And he used to have a festival every year on the 17th of March. Now, if we think about today, what we celebrate on the 17th of March, which also happens to have colours of green, which is associated with the vine, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's interesting that we probably do celebrate things and we don't even know it. In Greek mythology, there's three sisters. I can't remember what their names are. On Enotrope and Enotrope. You'll have to, you'll have to, you'll have to switch over. Anyway, their great grandfather was Dionysus and uh, they had the power of turning water into wine, like a a similar Mr. Jesus. So, you know, there's so many things that we can attribute back to Roman and Greeks that we do today that we probably don't even realise. An area that I don't know about, that I'm hoping you know a bit more about, right? Oh, gosh, you're putting a lot yeah, right. No pressure. All right. Um, <laughs> it's a bit about, like, wine varieties and production now. Like, So I used to live in New Zealand, so that's, for me, that's where the wine thing came from. Like, I drank mm. wine, but I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, I like this, I don't like it. And it took New Zealand and all the wonderful vineyards there to start, like, exploring it more. And I got the edges, basically, about wine varieties and kind of learn a little bit more about production. So, obviously, in the ancient world, it surprised me how similar the process of making wine is Mm -hmm. in, like, Mm -hmm. Greek and Roman times to today. But one thing that really, I know that now there'll be an industrialised version of this, but I notice that some winemakers are going back to like the stomping of the grapes, a much more kind yeah. of traditional, organic style of making wine. So why, why have they gone back to that? Yeah, it's funny you say that. As, as we're getting more evolved in modern technology, we're actually going back to the old ways in wine. It's funny. So the foot treading that you speak of, they do it mostly traditionally in Portugal for okay. making port. Not that many people outside of that make it. However, kind of making wine in amphorae and leaving it to the ambient yeast as opposed to inoculating it with commercial yeast is really coming back into the forefront and like, organic winemaking and then one step further from that biodynamic winemaking is I think it's probably because you know you mentioned it earlier we're living longer we know more scientifically so having an organic wine or a biodynamic wine might be healthier for us and it's more natural to the origins of wine it's also you know the winemakers are very passionate people (laughs) so they really want you to be able to taste exactly where it's coming from there's this term in wine called terroir which is French, and it literally translates to land or soil, but it actually encompasses more than that. It kind of encompasses the climate and the aspect and everything that is around it. So, you know, winemakers really do want you to taste where it comes from, what it means to them. So that's, you know, a way of doing that is not manipulating the wine, just letting it speak for itself. Um, And I think also people are, are excited and just open to wine experimentation which just happens to be going back to the olden days yeah cool i'd like to maybe taste the difference i don't know if you can taste a difference uh in some of these different modes you can taste the difference i wonder if i I can can taste the difference but i mean yeah but with everything in life if you it's just a muscle right so if you practice it if you want i will practice just for you drinking a massive quantity of wine that's, That's what you're your telling homework. me. <laughs> I mean, just like just like to today, you know, in the ancient world, vintage wines are the best. Mm, so, you mm. know, like 
they're probably gonna you know you mentioned about amphorae and how that that's how they would store their wines you know but they would have them roughly for like 10 to 15 years is probably a vintage style i mean there probably were oh you know ones further than that as well most of them would go out at about a year or something like that mm. um so vintage wines are like the best in ancient times you know that was the one if you really wanted to impress your guests you'd roll out one of your vintage check this guy out this one's 15 years old drink it um and that's the same today, isn't it? Often, I know I'm generalising here, but some. But so, first of all, I can see your face. Maybe I'm. Maybe I've got this wrong. There's a little. There's a little roll of the eye here. So yeah, was, let's start. Know, let's start with our vintage wines are best, and then second, if they are still considered highly, which I know they fetch a decent price tag. Why? Why? <laughs> Explain to why? a normal person why. So going back to what I just said about the terroir, I guess, and the winemaker wanting you to taste where what it's about and where it's from. Yeah. The vintage a vintage wine is just a, a wine made from grapes from a specific year. So obviously that means that everything that happened in that year will kind of go into the grape quality. Okay. So if it's been a great year, so there's been enough sunshine and enough water and whatnot, then yes, it will be a fantastic you know a good vintage obviously though there are years where the weather is not so good so that vintage is not actually a great vintage so it's not it's not a stamp of quality it's just a stamp of fact if that makes sense it does one of the world's most famous non-vintage wines is champagne no one ever looks at a non-vintage champagne which we'll just see usually on the shelf you know and you don't think, oh, that's not good quality because it hasn't got a year. You see, because I think in the ancient world, there is quite an exclusive rule that the vintage of something, mm. the age of it is the thing. Mm. So that, so I guess we've got more nuance in our understanding of that today. And I think yeah, you know, exactly. I'm interested because, you know, produ- wine production is a massive thing, especially in the Roman Empire. There are a number of different regions that are producing this wine. And, you know, we see it in like archaeological remains, you know, like shipwrecks, you get... Um, you know, amphorae there, and we can sort of see what's there's big trade routes going on. It's going all over the place, and so you know, there are there are places very connected to this kind of concept of of what is a a good wine, what is a bad wine, and so you know, in, in the in the particularly Roman period, um, I actually agree. The Aegean islands, you know, kind of so what you know, I mean, like you know, uh, Lesbos, Lemnos, places like that. Um, had the best reputation so they, they produced the best wine but i'm interested because i don't hear much about greek wine today no so what what, what was that about so what we think of being good wine today i've actually written an article about this before it's all political in the uk we owned bordeaux <laughs> basically right bordeaux in france was where you know we had our duchies or whatnot um so therefore Historically and politically, we got wine from there. And that's what has evolved to be a great wine. Same with Burgundy, you know, kind of the Dukes of Burgundy were very much on the side of the English as opposed to the French kings back when that was all happening. So those two wines we think of great, whereas we didn't have much trade, you know, 100 years ago or whatnot with the Greeks or with the Armenians or the Fertile Crescent, which is actually where wine we believe yeah came from so it's just that our understanding of what is a quality wine i believe is all political so if, if i if you were tasting a greek wine now they're fantastic greek wines are fantastic they are good right Absolutely. okay because i don't think that the general public like me if that if, if someone said to me try this greek one i i mean i'm quite open-minded i'd be, be sure. like yeah but yeah, i'd be a bit worried i think well that's not very yeah. good quality it's not no and that's you know. a shame so the thing is 
as with everything in life, it takes time to break down our uh, perceptions of things. Mm. People just need to be more adventurous, but it's difficult if you don't know what you're doing. And wine is confusing enough as it is, let alone then with words you can't pronounce or things you don't know. Or... And also, you know, when you're walking through a wine aisle, there is no one to tell you oh this mm. is similar to this I've mm. always thought it would be such a good idea and I know one supermarket has actually started to do this so I'll be interested to see how it goes but they've been putting wines in like this is Shiraz and all the wines that taste like Shiraz this is Chardonnay oh, and all the wines, cool. as opposed to doing it by country I think that's actually a really interesting thing There's another side of this I, I want to talk to you about, which is, you know, teetotalers. I don't know much about that. No, that's well, actually, this is more like popular kind of understanding of teetotalers anyway. So in the ancient world, you know, we keep saying how important wine is to, to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to the ancient cultures. So, you know, there are a number of different authors that talk about teetotalers in a very negative fashion. So, you know, like um, uh, Horace uh, and others say that, you know, people who are teetotal are offensive and puritanical they're kind of the joy has been ripped out of them and then they've got like no they've got no ability to be like creative or inspiring and and all the things that ancient people uh, hold in high regard right whereas to say so right now about one yeah. in four young brits yes. are yeah. teetotal and i've read a yeah. few articles interesting ones in guardian and things like that about uh, that that accusation being leveled at teetotalers so i kind of mm. want to like you know Get into this a little bit. So in the ancient world, being teetotal is not a good thing. It's not considered mm-hmm. something. You think, what's going on with this person? It's a little bit like they're withdrawing themselves from an a mm-hmm. important social element of society. And actually, I don't think that's that different to how drinkers might feel today about teetotalers. Absolutely. Um, so if we just, just for one moment, put aside, you know, obvious medical reasons why somebody mm-hmm. wouldn't drink, which which I think mm-hmm. is kind of self-explanatory. Not that I'm denying it, but it's self-explanatory. Yeah. What do you, what, why do you think we're falling out of love at this rate with alcohol, uh, mm. wine, alcohol, whatever you, you want to say? You know, this is a, this is a, that's 25% of young people yeah, that are, are choosing not to drink now, not all, for, not all for medical reasons. If it so, carries like this, I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> um, Quick, convince no, them true. back, convince them back. Drink. It's, it's, delicious i think i think actually i think social media's got a big part part to play in it because our connection to each other has become so vast and so quick Mm. you know over the last 10 20 years especially with social media and on social media you know everyone wants to look fantastic and it's all visually appealing and this beautiful live bodies and doing (laughs) yoga positions that I can't even dream of let alone get into I think actually that's really an important thing younger people want to look better look good and 
I've really embraced this wellness trend and it's not just drinking, is it? It's kind of also eating chia seeds and green juices and yoga <laughs> and all of that comes together and I think that's as a, probably... as a, yeah as a lifestyle for people it's a, it's yes. a lifestyle thing absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so the people that did drink you know in my parents and plus generation and you know on the continent especially it was a traditional thing to drink with your meal right and they still do I lived yeah. in Spain yeah, yeah, for a little yeah. bit uh, a couple of years ago and that was still a thing Whereas in the UK, that's not a thing um, at all. And actually, even in those countries where it's still a thing, the young adults are kind of moving away from that. That's not, you know, that tradition is starting to slow down. But I do find that really interesting, Lisa, because what you're saying, you know, if I think about our friends on the continent and how wine Mm. is part... the way that people drink there is much more kind of part of, of a daily life without excess. Mm. Whereas in the UK, we almost have a bit of an odd relationship with alcohol, I think. I think there yeah. is, the, and actually in some ways, closer to the Roman and the Greek because we mm. are worried about the optics. If I drink and I lose myself and I go to the excess, there is, there is obviously you know health concerns with that, mm. but also this obsession with image and how they're mm. being perceived, and like you say, everything going on social media and everything. And also, you know, when I think about when I was drinking when I was younger, uh, those photos remain, hopefully, on someone's digital camera that's been thrown away. Yes. However, nowadays, it's bang, on your mobile phone, yeah. it's online, right? Yeah, and that's what I find fascinating because that's full, like I said, that's full circle back to kind of the ancient moral dilemma and fear that comes with excess drinking. The ancient Spartans, for example, they would um, get their, their slave population, they were called the helots. What they would do is they get these helots drunk in front of their children to teach them the, the, the worry of over drinking and what oh can gosh. happen. And they would laugh at them. They would point and laugh. And like mm. I said, it happens a lot in Greek comedy. It's, mm. ha- it, it's fair game in popular culture in Greek and Roman times to laugh at drunkenness, but in a way that you're laughing at these people. Mm. I don't think that's that different now. Uh, I think that if people drink to excess, we have a similar viewpoint that it is seen as a low class thing to do. Mm. It's something that they're pushing onto lower classes, people that don't yes. understand how to, yeah. to drink wine in a civilised fashion. No, it's true. You know, obviously my job is that I, you know, drink wine pretty much every day. Lucky you. But when I was, I know, <laughs> I know, but I, I, you know, very, 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 very rarely will drink so much nowadays that I will, you know. Go out um, of your mind yeah be drunk mm. actually or have a hangover because it's not a good look i think that's really interesting i think you know something to consider like this kind of in, this relationship with teetotal kind of concepts that we have today awesome well listen i mean we could talk forever about this so i don't, I don't think we, we can really ever get to could. the end of it but we are coming to the end so you have to play my game now alicia when i say have oh, to gosh. it's not like a forced thing but you yeah. are gonna are you it. gonna get me drunk and put me in like some gladiator thing <laughs> oh, do you know what i really wish i'd thought about this in advance and we'd got you absolutely smashed and then saw what you came out with exactly. <laughs> to be fair wouldn't you just be like begging for a kfc or something for one minute yeah, if you were that drunk um, I but yeah oh. okay so so the, the, the game is called legitimates so the idea is oh, this is legit like classics it. so the idea is you know kind of what, from what you've learned about ancient winemaking and, and, and interactions with wine and kind of consumption of wine and modern 
the legitimates things. Do you think that there's quite a lot that we can learn from one another or kind of connect to each other? I.e., like, is it important? Oh my gosh, so, it, everything so, you were saying yeah. sounds exactly <laughs> like today. I know. It's blown my mind. I mean, I knew it was similar, but it's blown my mind. I know. And I mean, that basically nearly every episode. That, I mean, to be fair, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, but most episodes <laughs> end with bloody hell, aren't they the same as us? Yeah. Um, which is my entire mission. This is cool. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, in one minute, you just try and. Like throw out all the things you've learned or things that, that came to you or thoughts, anything you like. It kind of sums up this this time we spent together. Okay. All right. All good. Right. I'll count you down. Don't worry, Alicia. Just enjoy. Just have a laugh, right? Uh, three, two, one. Okay. So um, drunkenness was not a good thing. It was something to be laughed at. Um, there was a hierarchy in drinking and the richer people got wine, better wine than the others. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, there was wine and religion was a really big thing. Obviously we had the Bacchus uh, cults and Dionysus and we still kind of do that today. Um, there were people talking about something. Wim- women, remember. women. Talk about women. Women, oh women, women, women weren't allowed to drink basically because it was sexist. Let's smash the patriarchy. Yes, there's a cuddly toy. There is um, the bibs. Wine production. Wine production. So that was in the little like quivera and things like that, and they would mix in. Um, Gosh, herbs and spices and honey to make it taste better. They would water it down. It's not quite like the wine that we had. Um, there was... Oh, you oh. did it. You did it. You got through it. Oh, that was amazing. How did I do? How are you marking this? Can I get well, a referee to mark these marks? Yeah, what happens is I'm a former teacher and oh. my marks are made up with whatever number I fancy saying at the time. Okay. So if okay. you like, I'm just going to give you 93%. Yay! Do you know why? That's excellent. That is the it's highest score I've ever got. You're getting an excellent score because it's not easy. And I put you on the spot. You didn't make any notes. You, you got to do it in a minute. And there's a bloody timer going off. It's stressful. And you that kept your cool. And you got all the main points in. So it's pretty decent. Thank you. Pretty decent. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Well God, done. I'm going to need a glass of wine after <laughs> <sighs> that's Thank the whole point you. of this episode to drive people no. to go and buy 15 bottles of wine afterwards <laughs> please do otherwise I'll be out of a job <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much Elisa I've learned so much about wine today and I hope you've learned something about the ancient world that you didn't know already because so you know a lot so <laughs> oh, thank you yeah well thanks so much and this has been Legit Classics with Jasmine Elmer and Alicia Hansel <laughs> After sold-out runs at the Public Theatre and London's National Theatre, Here Lies Love, the groundbreaking musical from David Byrne and Fatboy Slim, opens on Broadway this summer. Get swept up in what Vogue calls a life-giving, roof-raising blast of pure joy about the rise and fall of Imelda Marcos at the hands of the Philippine People Power Revolution. Here Lies Love is a revolutionary experience unlike any other on Broadway. It's a party and you're invited. Get tickets at herelieslovebroadway.com.